Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. So glad that you've decided to join us today at Gateway Church. Why don't I open us up in prayer, and then we're just going to dig right in, all right? Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for 40-degree Minnesota February 2nds. Lord, we're just, we're just thankful for all you do, Lord. Everything you do is a blessing. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that um, your, your word would go out in a way that's powerful, Lord, and that, that we would all be touched and impacted by what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That is... The opening line to Psalm 23, which is one of the most popular, most well-known passages in the entire Bible. In fact, if you've been in church for any length of time, I would have suspected that you've heard this text tons, lots and lots and lots of times. Even if you are unfamiliar with church, even if church is not something that you do regularly, I bet you've probably heard this passage. There are sections from it that are all over in popular culture. You hear this psalm read at weddings and at funerals. It is absolutely everywhere. And it's one of the most encouraging and filling passages in the entire Bible, in my opinion. I absolutely love Psalm 23. But there's a little bit of a of a weirdness that I have with this statement. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Like that sounds really cool. It sounds really good in principle. But when you actually step back and think about it, that's an odd phrase. I mean, for some of us in the room today, we may be in really good spirits. We might be in a really good place. You know, maybe we're, we're, we're excited about the Super Bowl later this afternoon. You know, whatever it might be. But for some of us, we're in a place where we're like, wait a second. I lack nothing? Like, that, that might border a little bit on being offensive. What are you talking about, I lack nothing? Like, my marriage is in shambles. You're telling me I lack nothing? Like, I'm incredibly lonely. How can you tell me I lack nothing? My kids are wayward. What? What? And yet, the passage, the text, what is written here, which is so encouraging, is that I lack nothing. I read an article this week in preparation for the sermon. It was from Forbes.com. And the author of this article was trying to deal with this idea of what would be necessary for you to have a complete life, you know, a complete life. And she came up with some really interesting answers, right, that people had said, like, these are the things that I would be able to say if I had these things, like that I lack nothing. And here's some of those things. The first is happiness, right? If I have happiness, like real happiness, then I won't lack anything. I will be content and complete. Another one is money. Oh, everybody's got to love that money, right? If I have money, then I'm going to lack nothing. Or freedom, 
You know, freedom to do what I want. I don't want to go to my 9 to 5 job. I don't want to work 40 hours. I don't want to be tied down to that. That's not my vibe. That would make me feel like I lack nothing. Peace. Oh, if it was only peaceful in my house or in my work, I would lack nothing. What about joy? Joy's a good thing, right? People like to be joyful. Balance. My life was just more balanced. I could be fulfilled. Fulfillment itself. That would make me feel content if I was fulfilled. And confidence. Like if I only just just had a little bit more confidence in myself, I would be filled. I would be content. I would lack nothing. I think many of us could resonate with things on this list. Right? I mean, I know I could. I'd I'd like a little bit of all of that. Give me a little bit of all of it, right? Drive through McDonald's and I'll take one of each. (laughs) Maybe not. That's a bad idea. Probably shouldn't do that. Today we're going to deal with this topic. The text deals with this topic of contentment and real fulfillment. What does it actually mean to be able to say, my life is characterized by lacking nothing? It doesn't necessarily mean that every minute of every day is perfect, because that's not realistic. But like, my life is good. I am content. I'm happy. I'm filled with joy and contentment and peace. What does a life look like? look like that would be described that way. So we've so far been for the last several weeks in the series called Deep Longings. Deep Longings is all about looking at the Psalms. The Psalms is this great collection of poems and and, and songs and and writings from a variety of authors over hundreds of years that really deal with, at the same time, the human condition in its rawness, in its pain, and in its victory, in its joy, everything you can imagine by being human. But it also has God intersecting in that. And what does it mean that that God comes to us, that in our brokenness, in our joy, in whatever situation we're in, God chooses to invade our lives in a good way, to provide us this contentment and this joy. Last week we looked at Psalm chapter 20. The the theme of that psalm was this idea of victory in God and God being the sole source of victory for us as followers of Jesus. And my challenge for us was to wrestle with this idea of are we really trusting that God is that source of victory or are we trusting in something else? And my challenge for you is to, re- to really think on that question, to let it resonate, to let it kind of marinate your brain stem a little bit and think, is this really what life is all about? Am I all about God's victory or am I all about trying to do it on my own? And today in Psalm 23, I'm really excited to talk about this idea of contentment and God's contentment and joy where we can actually say that we lack nothing. And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to download one. Uh, There's tremendous joy in the fact that we have access to a Bible. We don't usually talk about that. But there have been hundreds of people over the course of history that have paved the way that we might have the actual word of God in our hands and in our phones and in our laps. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible app on a phone or whatever, on an iPad, to download one. You can also grab a Bible or you can... Follow along with me on the screens behind. We're going to read the entire text together and then we're going to dig into it a little bit. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, it just feels good to have those words like roll over you, doesn't it? I mean, even if, even if you're not convinced of this whole Jesus thing, this idea of, of being refreshed, this idea of walking in, in green pastures, this idea of quiet waters. I don't know if you're an outdoorsy, outdoorsy person or not. I, I like to claim that I am, although I wouldn't necessarily prove that in my lifestyle. But I love this, this vision of, of, of standing by quiet waters, by laying down in the grass. There's such joy in this passage. And one of the things I love about it is that the message of this passage is very simple. And that's, that's this, that contentment is available. But contentment is found, joy is found, this idea of not lacking is found in God being our shepherd. And submitting to the shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because God is my shepherd, that's the reason that I lack nothing. Now this text was written by a man named King David. And we've talked about King David a little bit here at Gateway Church over the last several months. King David, if you're not familiar, was a king in Israel that reigned about 3,000 years ago. And King David, he had this really crazy, really incredible story. He started out as just like a normal dude, uh, the youngest son in a very average family, in a very average people group in Israel. But God decided, that's my guy. I want David to be the leader of my people, the king of the Israelites. And so God, in a, in a miraculous way, he spoke through a prophet and he called David and said, you're going to be my dude. But the problem was that David wasn't yet the king and another king was, was there. This guy's name was Saul and Saul heard about it and Saul started freaking out. And so David had this crazy life, this life of ups and downs, this life of, of victory and this life of, of being chased. He was a battle-hardened warrior and yet a soft-spoken man who wrote beautiful words that we hear in these psalms. An artist and a warrior. And yet, even at the end of his life, he can say words like this. I got nothing else that I would need other than God when he is my shepherd. The rest of the text today basically just expounds on this idea that God, as the shepherd of his people, create and build contentment in life. And so we're going to look through the rest of this text. But before we do that, David uses this metaphor of, of sheep and a shepherd frequently in this passage. And so I think we need to understand the nature of sheep and the under, the, understand a little bit of the neighbor, eh, nature of shepherding before we get too far into it. So up on the screen, I have a picture of some sheep. Aww. Oh, come on. Is that the best you got? Aww. Man. Yeah, I heard one of those. So on the outside, sheep are kind of cute, right? They look cuddly, they look nice, they look obedient. 
But the thing is, for those of us that are not farmers or ranchers, these guys are little devils. They are not cute. They are not sweet. They are not kind. They're stubborn. They're difficult. They don't listen. They wander off easily. Sheep basically have no natural defense against predators. They are easily overtaken and killed and eaten. Like, if you could pick any animal to be, I would probably not recommend being a sheep. And David, in this passage, he describes himself as one of these sheep, as someone who, like all of us, is prone to wander, is prone to make bad choices, gets lost in the midst of trying to find their way to someone's house, like I may have done last night. So the job of being a shepherd is actually a really challenging job. It's not something that's really sweet where you're sitting around with all these cute little animals that you pet once in a while and then, you know, watch Netflix instead. It's like a 24-7, all-encompassing job. These animals are stinky. These animals are rotten. They wander off all the time. They'll, like, just, they won't do anything that you want them to do. They'll eat food in a location, and then if you don't take them somewhere else, they'll starve because they're not smart enough to go find their own food. Like that's the nature of the job of a shepherd. It is a hard job. David, in fact, himself was a shepherd. He was the youngest in his family, which means that he was by default the shepherd because that's what happened in those days. It always fell to the youngest because nobody else in the family wanted to be the shepherd. And so... This impression is that David is this sheep like we mentioned, that God is this shepherd, this overseer, this guider of David throughout the context of his life. And this metaphor carries through the entire text. Let's look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is the idea of David saying, the reason that I have contentment, at least in part, is because God, he leads me in this way. He guides me into green pastures by still waters, and he refreshes my soul. Now there's a little bit more going on behind the text here. The land of Israel, which is located in the Mediterranean, just kind of right there to the east of the Mediterranean Sea, is actually a relatively arid environment. Like most of the year, the landscape is not particularly green. A couple times a year you get rains and and generally the whole land turns green. But to find green pastures as a shepherd actually takes some strategic thought and some planning and some knowledge of the terrain so that once your sheep eat up an entire field, an entire pasture land, you can grab and take them and lead them to a different location. And what David is saying is in the same way, God protects and provides and guides in such a way that his life was never without, that he was never unprotected, that he never lacked. I mentioned a minute ago that when David was young, before he became king, Saul chased him and tried to kill him. And in a very real way, 
David experienced this, this needing to move for protection and for provision often. And so what he would do is he would go and he would, he would hide in a cave for a little bit, but then Saul would be onto him and they'd go and try to get him and God would have to take him somewhere else and provide him food there. And, and he ate, it, he ate the, the, the bread that belonged to the priest at one point because that's what God had provided. But God never lacked in his provision for David. He never lacked in his provision for David. And that's the image here that God leads him into green pastures. This idea of lying down actually has some cool pieces to it too. So Philip Keller is a Christian author who spent eight years as a shepherd. And his goal was to try to get into the mind of the shepherd. And he, he wrote this book called A Shepherd's View, or a, a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, sorry. And what he found was in order to get a sheep to lie down, it took some really particular effort. Like four things had to be in place in order for a sheep to actually lie down on the ground willingly. The four things are they had to be free from all fear. They had to be free from friction with other people, with other, other of their kind, rather. There had to be peace in the midst of their circumstances. Third, in order for a sheep to lie down, they had to be free of pests. So no mice, no mosquitoes, no flies, stuff like that. And last, they had to be free from hunger. Sheep are high-maintenance animals. And so was David. And so are you, and so am I. And yet how beautiful and rich it is that God created circumstances in David's life where he could lay down in green pastures. Where he could walk beside quiet waters. That's this idea of the refreshing nature of, of jumping into the lake. I know it, it might be hard for us to imagine, but there is this season called summer that's coming. And how refreshing is it when it's hot outside to, to jump into a pool or into a lake and to feel your entire body covered in that refreshing presence of water. God refreshed David's soul. Let's keep going. The second part of verse 3. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Again, it's this idea that God is guiding, that God is leading, creating the pathway for David's life. Not free from pain, not free from hardship, but free from actual risk. Free from the things that could derail God's plan for David. Not even necessarily the things that we experience here, but from true evil, from the evil one, from evil forces that wanted to get at David, that, that honestly want to get at you and me too. And yet God guided him down the right pathway. I love the second part of this verse. This is a really important key and an important piece for us to know. God, he does what he does in any area, first and foremost, for the sake of his own glory and for the sake of his own name. Now, I know that that's not super kosher or, or super, like, trendy or fashionable to say that in 21st century, like, Western American individualistic culture, materialistic culture, whatever term you want to put there. But God's first priority is always his own glory. And look, that might make God sound like he's, like he's narcissistic or that he's proud or whatever. But the thing is, is that there is absolutely no better circumstance for you and for me than God acting in his interest first. Because when he does that, 
when he brings glory to himself, then we, as his creation, fulfill what it is that we were made to do in the first place. We were built to worship God, to be in relationship with him. And when he leads us down right pathways and and leads us down pathways in such a way that his name receives the most glory, that we experience satisfaction in that. And God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. A famous pastor named John Piper says that phrase. And what a beautiful phrase it is that when we're most content, when we're most happy as followers of Jesus, God receives the most glory. We become free and fulfilled when we make God the object of our worship rather than ourselves. Verse 4. So in these first couple of verses, David has been describing God fulfilling him, God not leaving him in, in lack, in life. But the thing is, and what the, the beauty of this passage is, is that it's not just about how God leads us in life. It's also about how God leads us in death as well. Like, I, one of the most Feared things in human culture in general is the prospect that at some point, at some point in life, you are going to die unless Jesus comes back first. And that's a rich hope that we have that someday God is going to return and he's going to rescue his people known as the bride of Christ. That's what the church is. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, are are part of that story. But the odds are In a hundred years from right now, we are not going to be here. And we will all traverse this pathway of confronting and walking through death. But one of the things that I love about God, one of the things I love about Jesus, is that we are never closer to Jesus than in that moment as we face our final hour. We are never closer to Jesus than in the moment when we are about to cross over if we are found in him. John Wesley was a famous pastor from the 18th century. And he was one of the most influential pastors, theologians, writers in all of church history. In fact, many of the things that we do are influenced by his theology, by his understanding of God and of worship and the way that that church should be organized and structured. John Wesley died in 1791. And there's this really great quote that I found that's up here on the screen from someone who depicted the last couple days of his life, last moments rather. Soon after, with friends gathered round him, Wesley died on the 2nd of March, 1791. Grasping the hands of those who loved him, he repeatedly told them farewell. At the end, when nearly all of his strength was gone, he reported, excuse me, his reported last words were, best of all, God is with us. So even in death, Even in that frightening proposition that I know we don't even want to think about, God's there. God's present in that. God protects us even in that moment. If you're a Christ follower, isn't that good news? Isn't that exciting? That yes, we've all got to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't think you probably want to do it either. But God will be present in that moment. 
if you are in him. And that continues to create this confidence and this contentment in David. Let's look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, it's, it's one thing that God guides. It's one thing that God protects. But he could totally do so by saying, ah, get away, bad guys, and just leave you alone, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I have a couple animals in my house. <clears throat> I have a cat named Cookie and a dog named Esme. And I love my animals. They're great animals. And I protect them, you know, and I feed them, and I pet them once in a while. But, like, they're not my children. They're not my kids. They're not my family. Like, like they're mine, but they're not, like, mine. In Middle Eastern culture, there's this idea of, of shame versus honor. And the way that Middle Easterners, and, and really Eastern culture in general, views right and wrong and good and bad is through this lens of honor versus shame. And to honor someone is to put them on that family-like pedestal. To say, no, they're more than the animals. They're more than the other people, you know, that are, that are just kind of friends or whatever. This is family. This is intimate relationship. This is closeness. And what David is saying here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, is this idea that you are honoring me above others. You are putting your best stuff in me. And for those of us that are in Christ, that's the joy that we have. The hope that we have is that not only are we saved from our sins, not only do we get to go to heaven, which is cool, and that's awesome, and I look forward to that, but like there's more than that. We are adopted into the very family of God. I just kind of want to let that sit for a second. Like if you are in Christ, you are a child of the King. You are honored before your enemies. Can you imagine that? Like, like having a table and, and picture people that you would consider to be enemies. And then like sitting back watching you eating a sirloin or a, or a filet or whatever it is you eat. Vegetables if you're vegan. You know? How incredible would that be? God anoints David's head with oil. And that's a sign of such tremendous affection and honor. How great is it that God not only saves but elevates to the point of sonhood and daughterhood? How crazy is that? And David's only response is, my cup overflows. I have joy. I have satisfaction. I have, I have everything that I could ever want from you and more. And it just flows all over the place because there's just nothing left. There's nowhere else for this to go because your joy is so great in me. Surely... Your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In life, in death, and in the life to come, God protects, God shepherds, God provides, and not only that, but God loves with a love that is beyond anything you and I can imagine. It is unbelievable, the love of God. 
It's unquenchable, the love of God for his people. You might love a spouse, you might love a child, you might love a parent, but it's nothing like the love of God for you. It's nothing like this. God is committed to you now in death and forever. And that's what he's saying to David, that you are mine. You're mine, David. And so on into forever. Now let's, let's be real. Okay, let's, let's just have a moment. You might be like, yeah, right. You might be like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff. Like, that sounds really, really cute. Put it on a bumper sticker and drive down the road. That doesn't work for me. Right? That's too binary for me. That's too, like, whatever. Pick your adjective. I don't have that kind of life because everything around me is a wreck. The invitation from God is that this story can be your story too. Like not just that you can have life, but that you can have abundant life. Not just that you can have a little joy, but that you can have long-lasting joy. Joy that leads you through trials. Joy that leads you through the inevitability of your own death. Joy that's going to lead you through eternity, that continues to pile on with joy over joy over joy. There's this Hebrew word called shalom, and roughly translated into English, the word means peace. But it's not just like peace, like, wow, war's not going on around me, or my kids aren't yelling in my face, like I'm at peace. It's so much deeper than that. It's this idea of like at every single level, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, in every area of my life, I am exactly where I am meant to be. And that's the invitation. That's what's being offered in this text. Looking at it from the outside, you might say, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I don't know that. I don't get that. But when you look at David's life, at the struggle and the hardship, and yet the contentment in it, like that's, it's right there. It's available. And so my encouragement to you, my challenge for you is to, to lean into that, to figure out where are you in the context of God's shepherding nature over your life. Are you like, ah, just, I'm not there, I don't believe in all this mumbo-jumbo, I'm just here because my parents say I should be? Maybe you've got something that, like, you just need to lay down, you know what I'm saying? Like you're carrying that something that you're just holding so tight that, that you can't. God's trying to spur you forward, and then your little hooves of, you know, as a sheep, you're like holding on to that thing, whatever that might be. Maybe you're afraid. I mean, that's real. Maybe you're afraid of what God might lead you into. God, the pasture that I'm in right now, there's, there's still a little grass, and, and I know it's kind of getting brown, but like, there's still just this little bit left. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Maybe you're in that place. I want to encourage you to consider following the shepherd, to consider putting yourself underneath his leadership so that he might fill you the way he filled David, so that he might receive the glory in your life. 
And in doing so, satisfy you better than anything else on earth could ever satisfy you. In a moment, we're going to do something that we have done here for the last few weeks. We're going to have a moment where you can reflect on this idea. And I think in our culture, you know, we, we hear stuff and we see stuff and there's just so much coming at us that, that we lose the opportunity to reflect and to think and to process and to say, like, I mean, do I buy into this stuff? I mean, is this real or, or not? And I want to encourage you. We're going to have a timer on the clock for one minute. And I want to encourage you to take a minute and to think about this. Like, am I willing to submit myself to the leadership of the shepherd? Am I willing to do this? To see what God might do in my life? And maybe you need to write something down on the connection card. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. I'd encourage you to write that on the connection card. Like Doug mentioned earlier. You can stick it in the baskets as you leave. If you just need to write something down and just... Scribble, whatever. If you just want to pray, if you just want to sit in silence, whatever it is, I just want to encourage you to take a minute and process. And then we'll continue in our service. Let me pray, and we'll take our minute. God, thank you so much for the beauty of Psalm 23. What it is that we have, if we would just walk in it, if we would just accept that invitation be in your presence. God, I know we all have different stories. We've all got different stuff going on. Some of us are, are in the midst of great victories in life. Some of us are in the midst of terrible pain and anguish. And some of us, Lord, it's just another Sunday. And wherever we are, I pray that you would meet us.